Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. 2018. We shouldn't, as Democrats, be empowering the Republicans. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he favors allowing states to declare bankruptcy. And... New Jersey governor calls McConnell bankruptcy comment irresponsible. Can a state file for bankruptcy? What does it mean? What does that mean? We're going to dive into the specifics of that with Congressman Walden. He's going to call in. And U.S. cases are up 3.1% below past week's 4.4 average. So what's going on with the virus? Mom and pop piled into biggest U.S. oil ETF during historic route, more historic oil route break shale Trump's energy dominance. And have you been following what's been going on with Harvard? We'll talk about Harvard University and that debacle with our all-star panel. President Trump sets to begin the daily coronavirus task force briefing at 5.45 p.m. Eastern. You can catch that right here. On Bloomberg 99.1 FM, lots to get through. We begin tonight with a, a prominent member who has been wrapped up and really leading a leading voice in conservative circles for the energy uh, sector. Congressman Greg Walden, of course, I'm talking about Congressman Greg Walden, a Republican uh, on the uh, representing Oregon's 2nd Congressional District. Congressman Walden, thank you so much for joining us. Um, the president convened a, a tele-meeting, which you reportedly were on yesterday, uh, and he's floated providing funds for the oil and gas industry, given all of the volatility that has gone on. Uh, I'm sorry, Secretary Brulette had that phone call. Can you tell us yeah. or give us an update about uh, where things stand in terms of how to inject some stability into the markets? Well, yeah, and thanks for having me on. Look, it's, uh, this is an important part of America's energy Energy sectors are really important part of America's economic renaissance, if you will. You've seen what's happened all across the country as we became not only energy independent, but all the jobs and economy that went with that. We had a remarkable uh, positive effect in so many sectors of, of our nation. We know that our competitors um, would love to see that go into decline, the Saudis, the Russians, the others, and we can't let that happen. Then you have the whole COVID thing come in on top of it. So what we're looking at is how do you – 
How do you provide a safety net for this incredible job producing part, high wage job producing part of our economy? Secretary of Energy, Dan Bruyette, terrific. He's very thoughtful. He's smart. He used to be the, the chief counsel staff director on the Energy and Commerce Committee. I mean, he knows how Congress works. He knows the energy sector well. And, and so he's already contracted for leasing space for 23 million barrels of oil. They're putting out an RFP next week for an additional 27 million barrels of oil. Congress long ago gave them the authority. This is like way long ago, um, the authority to go do this. Um, and so we can do storage for long term. We can help, as you know, part of the issue driving price down is there's literally very little storage left anywhere in the world. So Congress authorized Department of Energy to store up to a billion barrels of oil. And it's not limited in where they store that oil. So he's offering to work with Congress, with our neighbors to the north and south. Um, we, we need to have a North American energy plan here. Um, and become very independent and very competitive in this environment and not let these outside uh, OPEC and others try and just destroy our infrastructure, which is part of what's going on here, in addition to the clear drop-off in demand and, and everything related to COVID. But I, have so many questions. I have so many follow-up questions, but we're limited on time. So I want to I want to stick with one thing you said about that plan, the North American plan. How do we – what what should that plan look like with Mexico and Canada? Well, I, I, I've talked to the, the premier of Alberta. I, I, I've talked to others, and he's working with them, and they're working this thing out. I mean, clearly, we have a lot of, of energy production that crosses back and forth over our borders as it is. Um, you, you think about the pipelines back and forth. Um, you think about different production, different types of oil. And, and so there's, there's a lot of commonality here uh, where we can work together um, and, and try and deal in when, when we get things back into a little more balance. Um, uh, in, in, in partnership. And, and I, I just think there are ways you can do that. Um, and certainly uh, moving forward as the Trump administration has the Keystone Pipeline, um, the, the province of Alberta is now an investor in that pipeline and is, is rapidly putting uh, you know, shovels in the ground. They're, they're, uh, they're doing their thing there. That helps us bring oil out of the, the Bakken and down, I mean, into, into Nebraska and around. I mean, there's a lot we can do collectively yeah. with our neighbors to the north and south uh, to really have a, a North American view of energy and not just be whipsawed by OPEC or the Russians or somebody. Congressman Greg Walden's on the line. He's a Republican from Oregon, 2nd Congressional District, also the top Republican on the House Energy Committee. Congressman, look, I, I got to be honest. Why are the Saudis doing this to us? Why are they poking us like this? What's their long play? And should there be consequences? Well, yeah, I think there should. Um, you know, uh, it's a really good question. And, and, and I know the president's spoken directly with Saudi leader um, and, you know, has, has leaned in pretty hard. Look, we I think out of this whole covid crisis, we, we've really begun to see who our friends are and who they're not, where our supply chains are weak, where they're vulnerable, where they're not. And, and I think you see uh, in time of need, the, 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 the House of Saud has not been there like they could have been. They could have let up on this a long time ago, but they doubled down. Part of it's their, their competition with Russia. But combined, it had the side benefit of trying to knock us off the block. It's a competitive world, and, and oil's a competitive uh, price product. But they've, they've done damage here. And I'll tell you, they're, they're, they've lost some friends in the Congress um, that have supported uh, this relationship. And, and I think uh, it, it was pretty short-sighted on, on their part. 
I mean, for, for, as a reporter uh, uh, covering this, uh, this, the U.S.-Saudi relationship over the past four years in particular, there have been several Republicans who have stood by the Saudis through thick and thin. And we don't have to relitigate yeah. and go through the timeline. It's quite well, baffling to see their performance over the last several weeks. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and even within in the Saudis, there's part of the family that supports the madrasas that then – Pose a threat to the regime, to, to the, the government. I mean, it's it's a very complicated uh, part of the world, as you know, to begin yeah. with. And um, you know, they do play an important role at times um, in a in a pretty um, complicated and uh, difficult neighborhood. But you know, at some point, we got to put America first here. And uh, and and I know the president believes that. And and you know, he's he's laid down the law a bit. So you know, we'll get through this. Um, but but a lot of what we're facing right now is is global and it's COVID and it's enormous unprecedented drops in demand. And by the way, you had your traders. I, I know one of the, the comments before we came up live was was about all, the oil side and all. Look, some of these traders never thought they'd have to take possession. They've always played that game. Yeah. And guess what? All of a sudden. Uh, the bill came due and there was no place to put the oil and nobody wanted it. And, well, that drove the, the speculators down to zero and they're, they're not doing well. Congress- um, so, you know, there's that part of the market. Congressman, we have 20 seconds left. So quickly, what's your message to refinery workers who really just want to get back to work? They just want to get back into the refineries yeah. and get back out there. Well, we, we, need, uh, we need to help them and it needs to be bipartisan. And the AOCs of the world um, are willing to throw them uh, into the unemployment lines. And we can't let that happen. They're too important part yeah. of America's economy. All right, Congressman Greg Walden, thank you so much. Ranking member of the House Energy Committee. Welcome back anytime, my friend. Thank you so much to Congressman Walden. Coming up next, much more policy and politics. The latest with Governor Hogan. You don't want to miss that. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And we are officially on daily coronavirus task force briefing standby. For President Trump, you can catch that at 5.45 p.m. Eastern right here on Bloomberg 99.1. Joining us on the line, good friend of the program. Hey, it's been a minute since he's been on. We've, we've kept having to, we've kept having to reschedule because he gets bumped every time we schedule him by the president of the United States. Tyler Deaton's on the line, Republican strategist and fundraiser, president of Allegiance Strategies. Hey, Ty, how are you? I'm thrilled to be here. Happy to be healthy hanging out in my quarantine and <laughs> glad to be talking to you. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, so you're one of the most uh, insidery types in, amongst Republican circles and whatnot. And I, we were talking about this yesterday, and I want to continue the conversation because so much of this back and forth between Republican Governor Larry Hogan and President Trump, it's just been fascinating. What's the play here for Governor Hogan? Well, I, I think that the play for Governor Hogan is he's actually just trying to keep Maryland safe. It's such a boss move that he went and bought half a million tests on his own from South Korea. I mean, the whole country has only tested five million people. So, you know, he's bumping up Maryland's testing capacity to be more than basically any other state except for California. Uh, I think he's just doing it to, to be a great governor. I would tell you, though, that for Republicans on the Hill, 
Um, there's definitely quite a few people who look at the situation and wonder how different things would be if somebody like Governor Hogan was actually managing the response for the entire government um, rather than how it's being handled. Well, he's President frequently – I mean, I know we're a long way out and there's a, a lot can happen between now and then. But he's frequently rumored to have presidential ambitions for 2024, right? I mean, that, that's in the conversation. We should we – should Definitely. Uh, and look, he is handling this so well. But there are a few governors that I think have really stepped up in this, and they've been on both sides of the aisle – I would want to say that probably the governor who has surprised me the most on the upside has been Governor Gavin Newsom out in California. Yeah. Um, I think for a Republican like me, I've actually been really impressed with how he's handled this. But, of course, Governor Hogan's doing an incredible job. I really don't think that this has anything to do with presidential politics. Um, but boy, you know how much. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I don't want to. I want to. I want to correct myself. I'm not insinuating that it has anything to do with presidential ambitions. But I think when you when you cover a a, a leader who is rumored to have presidential ambitions, it's you have to. It's interesting now that part of the governor's story is this back and forth with President Trump, and especially when he's received praise for his handling of this. And he actually sent a letter to President Trump yesterday afternoon thanking the president for, quote, continued coordination, end quote, between the federal and state governments. I'm reading a report from the Baltimore Sun. Uh, so it's it's just been a really interesting dance. And I do want to note, reading from Fox News now, that he actually has also said he's also saying that he's going to allow barber shops and hair salons to reopen by appointment only to serve some essential workers like military personnel and first responders. So, you know, I think a lot of folks have been Lord knows a lot of us need haircuts. So, Ty, if you're following. Yeah, me. Well, look, that's a sophisticated response. I mean, I think that that's what people are enamored with. Like he's getting these tests. They're going to have testing capacity in Maryland. They're opening up in smart and strategic ways. You know, I think we need that in all 50 states. That's the kind of leadership that I hope other governors will emulate. And again, I'll just tell you, you know, more than a few Republicans have shared with me, like the same kind of quiet thought, like, wow, wouldn't it be great if somebody like Hogan was managing the whole thing? All right. Meanwhile, up on Capitol Hill, tomorrow the House is going to vote to replenish the Small Business Administration loan program that the Senate did yesterday. Uh, any any uh, rumblings of what you're hearing could be in the next round of economic stimulus? So right now, we have a huge divide over what the scope of the next bill should be. And that's not just a partisan divide. There's a real disagreement right now between Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and some Senate Republicans over how big this next package should be. I mean, Secretary Mnuchin was on the news yesterday saying he wants infrastructure. He wants large um, financial packages for health care, for state and local government. And in some ways, his, his initial bid looks more similar to what House Democrats are considering. So there's going to be a long process here to figure out what Senate Republicans who have the majority in the upper chamber are willing to go along with. Leader McConnell is already signaling that. Um, we're spending too much uh, and racking up too much new debt in our response to COVID-19. I'm not sure, though, if I were to step back and try to be as impartial as I can, I'm not sure that Leader McConnell has all of the Republicans on board. I think that right now um, debt is not the first thing on their mind. For a few of them, it's re-election this fall. But for others, it's just tackling this epidemic. I mean, state and local governments have had a huge hole blown into their budgets. And I think that nobody knows right now exactly how we're going to sort that out. 
And I would already tell you that whenever there's a phase four bill, there will still have to be a phase five bill as we get into the summer and figure out exactly what is the economic damage from COVID-19. So McConnell's usually, I mean, he, he doesn't talk and float ideas unless there's strategy behind it. So what was the thinking when he went on uh, Hugh Hewitt's program earlier today and floated the idea of state bailouts? What's the calculation there? I think that uh, Leader McConnell just doesn't want people to think that this is uh, a giveaway or a grab bag. You know, I mean, he postured himself going into this, let's, let's call the bill right now, phase 3.5. He initially said he would not allow anything to be attached to it beyond the PPP money. And of course, it ended up doubling in size from a quarter trillion to half a trillion dollars. And they did add all sorts of other money beyond PPP. So I think that it's an opening bid. Obviously, he is the best negotiator in Congress, in either chamber, in either party. Um, I'm sure he has a plan, but the the reality for for us and for your listeners is the debt here is real, right? The Federal Reserve is um, creating a lot of new programs. Congress is spending a lot of borrowed money at some point, and I don't think it's in the middle of the pandemic, but at some point down the road, we are going to have to look at this debt spending and consider how do we make this work for the long haul. I don't think that conversation is going to happen until – after November, though, do you? No, and it shouldn't. No, I mean, and I, I think that that's yeah. the thing. It's like, why all of a sudden now are people worried about debt? They've been spending with. Well, debt they just want to get on the record. This is, and I, I, we got it. Uh, Tyler, you're going to stay with us, but I mean, they just want to get on the record. It's why it's why I find Hogan's back and forth with Trump so interesting, is because it it it's part of his record now. A lot of these Republicans, they want to be on the record to say two years from now that they were there. Coming up next, more with Tyler Deaton, Republican strategist. And uh, also fundraiser and president of Allegiance Strategies. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. And you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You can listen to President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing at 5.45 p.m. Eastern right here on this station, Bloomberg 99.1. Tyler Deaton still with us, Republican strategist and fundraiser, president of Allegiance Strategies. And Ty, I said when we were doing the show, I said, Ty hasn't been on in years, it seems like. It might have been a couple of weeks pre-pandemic. You haven't been on in, t- during the pandemic. I said, hold him for two segments because I, I, I never have enough time with Tyler. Tyler, you wrote this op-ed 
called vo- headlined Vote by Mail is Happening. Will we be ready? Theoretical opposition to mail-in voting is beside the point. We need to focus on how state governments will meet demand for mail-in ballots. Tyler, I'll ask you the question that you answer in your op-ed, which is, are we ready for mail-in voting? Well, the the newsflash is no, we're not, not in every state. And the headline of the article could have also been, we're voting by mail whether you like it or not, right? There's been this debate in the last few weeks over whether or not we should vote by mail, all 50 states already have an option to vote by mail. And the the variable is, you know, is it like Georgia or North Carolina, where only 6% of people are voting by mail? Or is it like Utah or Washington State, where 100% of people are voting by mail? Um, Most states, it's an absentee ballot process. And what I'm predicting in a super PAC that I work with, American Unity PAC, is looking at these races and key battleground states. And we're already seeing huge upticks in interest for people who want to vote by mail. I don't think that surprises anyone. But I think that the debate over the last few weeks has missed the point, which is that, um, you know, maybe it is Georgia, North Carolina, where only 6 percent of people vote by mail in a normal year. This year, that could hit 40 percent. It could hit 50 percent. And so when you have that many people wanting to vote by mail, the systems are just not set up yet to allow for it. And if we keep de- if we keep on debating whether or not we should, we're going to lose the precious time to prepare See, this for is what's where inevitable. I, I like with all due respect. I mean, this is where I just get frustrated and I, and I got to watch it. But so I want to make sure my question isn't opinionated. I see these kids doing TikToks. Have you heard of this, Ty? They do the TikToks with the dance moves uh-huh. and everything, uh-huh. and they do like the J-Lo dance or the or – I don't even know. I, I, I mean I, I don't get it. But the technology that we have on our phone, okay, where they can do the TikToks, but you can't vote on your phone, and, and they're telling you – people are talking about mail-in voting. Why don't we have the technology or the infrastructure – to for I mean this should, this is a basic human Amer- this is a basic American right to vote to vote and and people you want to mail it in uh, to me it's just it's so antiquated and maybe I'm naive but it's so antiquated and it's it should be such a nonpartisan issue Republicans and Democrats should just get in a room figure out how people are going to vote and execute it right I mean I, I think yeah. this is so complicated needlessly. And it's more affordable. And look, in a pandemic, we don't have the choice because voting by mail is a little old fashioned, but voting in person this fall could be deadly. And it's just not going to be an option for young people, for old people, for healthcare workers and for unemployed people. Like no one is going to be wanting to go stand in a line with a bunch of other coughing people in November. It's not going to happen. And that's going to be true whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. And so my goal right now is to shift the conversation for everybody to say, look, we got to get smart. We have to implement this. We need to make it, for example, available to request your absentee ballot online. Kevin, you should know that there are still some states around the country where to get your absentee ballot, you have to go somewhere in person to register for the ballot, right? I and so that's this. crazy. And if we just make it such that people can request them online in all 50 states, that would be an upgrade. But I'll tell you, I like what you're saying about technology. That is definitely something we have to be thinking about beyond the pandemic. I'm aware of a few groups who are looking at doing blockchain secured voting. And, you know, I think that for anybody who's trying to increase voter turnout or protect against voter fraud, 
technology is the key. And I think that this is putting a, a spotlight on maybe just how old fashioned and out of date our voting systems are. It's just bizarre to me that after the 2016 election, when all of the security questions were raised mm-hmm. by Republicans and Democrats in a nonpartisan way that about how Russia graffitied all over our Democratic lowercase d institutions and just tried to, to make it run amok. That happened. And then now we've got a pandemic. I mean, it's just it's nonsensical that 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 these elected officials just haven't come up with a solution. But uh, switching, yeah, go ahead. Well, we have to harden our systems, and I just wanted to mention that it's not just Russia. There's a new report China. Uh, this morning that China Ugh. is working just as hard to disrupt our systems. And so, you know, Don't even get me we, have, we have out-of-date systems. We have hostile authoritarian states trying to attack our systems. And then we have this virus, okay? So, like, clearly we have to behave differently. Um, my recommendation is that whether so you're optimistic, Ty. State, wow, it's it's hump day, and I'm here <laughs> on your television. I'm like, hey, man, I'm ordering pizza tonight. Gosh, after that report, go ahead, Tyler. Give me some optimism, <laughs> buddy. Bring me some optimism. This you're getting there, a little too there dark. There is optimism because good. The Give me hope. Is easy, as I've already said. Um, one easy fix is to let people request their absentee ballots online. Um, And another easy fix is to move more generally in a vote-by-mail direction. There are very red states like Utah that vote exclusively by mail. And then, of course, there's blue states like Washington uh, and Oregon that vote exclusively by mail. Um, I think that there's something in it for everybody. It's not a partisan issue. I just hope that with the time we have left, people start to make these changes and recognize that there will be record-breaking numbers of vote by mail this fall. Yeah, and meanwhile, you mentioned China, and, and that's where I want to take this this conversation. Reuters reported earlier today that two U.S. warships are operating in the South China Sea. The Navy said that officially on Tuesday, uh, and three regional security sources saying they were near an area of a standoff between China and Malaysia. Uh, the U.S. has called on China to stop its quote-unquote bullying behavior, end quote, in the disputed waters in the South China Sea. The Chinese government had a research ship that was spotted last week conducting a survey close to an exploration vessel operated by Malaysia's state oil company, the Petronas, uh, months after it undertook a similar patrol off of Vietnam. So the U.S., South, uh, and China tensions escalating uh, in the South China Sea. What, if any, over the uh, over the next, bef- I guess, five months before Election Day, will there be a response uh, from the administration against Beijing, and what might that look like? Well, Kevin, that's a huge question. And, and you've got two minutes. We're, <laughs> we're not going to solve uh, all of our problems with China on this radio program, but I'll tell you one easy fix that I know that people in the White House are thinking about, which is that attaching to our trade agreements with China, we still have ongoing trade negotiations, attaching to that a requirement that they ban the sale of exotic game in these markets in China. And I think it's something that could come none too soon. Um, it's really way past time for China to crack down on the illegal trade of exotic animals. They're, they're hunting down these endangered species. They're sold in these markets. And, of course, you know, it's bad for the environment. It has bad public health implications. And I think it's time that you know, China shuts down this trade. You'll hear some people saying that they have to shut down these markets entirely. That's not the solution. But they do have to crack down animals that are being used for, for human consumption. They've got to crack down on that. 
So how does how was that? Would that be a co- congressional fix, or would that no, that would have to come from the administration? It's something the administration can do and demand that China, um, you know, take those steps to comply with the next round of trade negotiations. Um, and it might just be the thing. You know, we've known for a while that the that the government in Beijing really doesn't like these practices. Um, they've been looking, I think, for an excuse to crack down on it. I think that the U.S. government has to finally give them the excuse to to crack down on the the black market for exotic animals. If this does, and, and the way, mind you, the reason they were created was because the Communist Party couldn't feed all of the people in rural China. Coming up next, much more on the program. We check in with Bloomberg's Josh Wingrove, White House reporter, for the latest coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Tyler, my friend, thank you so much for coming on. What have you been watching on Netflix? Uh, I, I haven't been watching Netflix. I've been watching HBO, and I've been rewatching True Blood. Oh, wow. All right. A true blooder. All right. Thank you so much, Ty. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg Chief Washington Correspondent. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We are on standby for President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing set to begin any, any minute now. So we'll toss to that and uh, you can listen to that right here on Bloomberg 99.1. Someone who has been all over covering the administration these past few weeks, our very own Josh Wingrove's on the line. Bloomberg White House reporter. Josh, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I can't complain, right? There's so much to be grateful for. And, you know, the weather's starting to warm up. I went outside on one of my walks. You know, they tell you to take walks. Take a walk. Take a walk. Whenever you get stressed, go outside. Take a walk. Take your mask and take a walk. I'm on a walk. Then the wind comes again. I'm, I am very sick of this wind, but there's there's bigger problems in the world, and we have too much to be grateful for. What the heck is going on with North Korea, Josh? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, we actually think we're probably coming close to the U.S starting to hone in on something. But as you know, the reports have been like, you know, the U.S. is monitoring it. They're looking at intelligence from it. It's not clear that they actually are accessing their own intelligence. And there's been mixed signals from South Korea, from China, and, and the U.S. And, as to the health of, uh, of of Kim Jong-un. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, you know, I think, I think we could hear the president address it uh, shortly. We could hear the president. Uh, we expect to hear him say that he signed this executive order on immigration. We started the day with him authorizing the Navy to destroy uh, Iranian gunboats, uh, and we like you know really didn't talk about that at all for the rest of the day. Well, so you know it's been a multifaceted day here. You know it's been a, it's been a foreign policy day. So we covered North Korea earlier in the program. We addressed the issue in the South China Sea. Uh, you mentioned the immigration executive order. What do we know? The president started uh, tweeted that out earlier this morning. What specifically is President Trump saying he wants to do with immigration? We know that it is less big in scope than his tweet late Monday announcing it suggested. It's aimed at green cards in uh, in particular. Fox News has a report that this is going to be a, a halt to diversity lottery green cards. These are uh, work green cards, chain migration green cards for people not in the country already, and that USCIS applications will not be affected. So that's that's big. That means this is targeted, and frankly, 
a little bit more of a messaging exercise because the bulk of the immigration system, the gears look like they'll keep on turning. But we still don't have details. You know, they sort of trickled out since that tweet late Monday night, sort of classic Trump. You know, he throws it out there and the sort of uh, the, the bureaucracy catches up to him afterwards. But it was in the works since before that tweet came out late Monday. So, I mean, it, it seems like in terms of the politics of this, domestic politics of this, Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter, the president's re-election campaign message is going to be reopen the economy, close the borders. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he's saying Americans deserve first shot at jobs. Now, will this measure actually fundamentally change that? I think you'll have a lot of people saying if it moves the dial, it won't by much. Uh, but he, I think, will rely on this as a political winner, saying, hey, 20, 22 million Americans, whatever the number is, most recently out of work, you know, we shouldn't be uh, issuing new green cards to folks. Green cards, of course, are a sort of uh, open ticket to work anywhere in the States, whereas other visas tend to be more targeted to maybe certainly around term or particular companies. Green card, green card, you can just go work anywhere you want. So he can target that and say, look, you know, we are at least we're, we're pausing this. It's only for 60 days, but he might extend it. And given in this election year, you know, make your bets. Uh, but he but you know, 60 days, and he can say, look, we're giving Americans first kick at the can. This is a rough time, and, and, and this is one measure we're going to do. I mean, he believes that immigration measures, immigration crackdowns, in his view, are a political winner for him. I mean, that hasn't changed since he ran on election ran for election last time. Uh, as you know, Kevin DeWall played a pretty big uh, pretty big role in that, and this is sort of the latest, uh, the latest in that climb. All right, so that's what's going on with uh, immigration. Uh, I want to come back to another uh, topic that you mentioned, uh, which was Iran. I mean, bring us up to speed with what's going on with the U.S. and Iran. Yeah, so, I mean, it feels like forever ago, but we began the year, of course, with the U.S. killing Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general who was uh, killed by U.S. forces, regarded as a terrorist by the U.S., and it's been back and forth since then, you know, shooting down our drones and that. Last week, there were about 11 gunboats. They look like sort of speedboats with big guns strapped to the front of them. Uh, zipping around American ships across the bow, across the stern, um, sort of harassing them in the eyes of the Americans. And Trump, a week later today, said that he's ordered the Navy to uh, to shoot down and destroy uh, these gunboats. Uh, so, you know, uh, this is, a, I guess, a, the latest uh, escalation in that. We remember, we've all been on alert for what Iran might do to further retaliate for the killing of such, in Iran's view, a sort of prized general, in the American view, a terrorist. They did that rocket attack at a, at a joint U.S.-Iraqi base that didn't kill anyone, that injured quite a few American soldiers, over 100 American soldiers who had sort of concussion and head-type injuries. Uh, but, you know, the, we'll see. We'll see. But this has all been bubbling for a while. The president, in the words of his press secretary today, has made his views on Iran very well known. Well, Samal, uh, Soleimani is a terrorist. I mean, and, and so, you know, if that was... That there's that, but moving on in terms of of these uh, where the, where things go with Iran, um, you know Iran has been completely you know talk about they don't even have a response to COVID nineteen. I mean the reports coming out of Tehran for how they've they I, they they haven't done anything with COVID nineteen and and so uh, for them to be being so provocative uh, uh, against uh, you know the the U S military is quite it's perplexing because you know especially at a time in which their country is just you know, according to the reports, uh, really struggling with this. Well, I mean, it, 
and I suppose I presume it's both a political winner. I mean, if you're trying to distract from the yeah, there you go. the virus, you want to do that domestically, I suppose. But um, you know, the 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 issue around aid in Iran has been a big one. There's been questions in these daily briefings of the White House. Hey, look, will the U.S. relax sanctions uh, on Iran so that particular aid can come in? And it's sort of apples and oranges. The Americans, in particular, Secretary Pompeo, and of course President Trump, saying. You know, aid is not affected by the sanctions. If you want to send aid in, send aid in. But, you know, the technicalities of that uh, are risky because the Americans have been leaning on other allies and, and, and whatnot who've been trying to find workarounds to the really punishing sanctions. So uh, President Trump has given no indication that he plans on, on lifting those. In other words, storing some sort of lifeline to Iran to help deal with the virus. Of course, we continue to deal uh, with the virus, uh, you know, at home as well. Uh, We've so- got like a little less than two minutes left. So let me ask you one final question and I'll keep it broad. What are you <laughs> hearing about how the, the U S uh, might, uh, the U S might work with Europe, uh, given what's been going on with the U S and China, I guess, will this, will China's lack of transparency impact the United States relationship with Europe? I think it will impact Europe's relationship with China, but there are real concerns in Europe about the Trump administration. I mean, the President Trump doesn't seem too concerned about that. He says he's, his job is to be president of the U.S., not to make friends uh, in Europe. But there are real signals in particular. We're going to see this around Huawei as companies decide, or countries excuse me, decide whether to use Huawei 5G equipment. Uh, and the U.S. has called on them to say, look, the Chinese were not transparent in the view of the U.S. around the spread of the virus early on. They, they, they downplayed it. They didn't share information. Can you really expect them to be transparent around telecommunications hardware? So the Americans are leaning on the Europeans. I don't know that it will bring Europe and America closer together. I think it will just further create these sort of three or four, however many you want to count, like islands where no one is really sure who to trust anymore in a sort of increasingly multipolar environment. Josh, I know you've been so busy, but have you been streaming anything? What have you been streaming in between breaking all the news for the White uh, House? We've been rolling way back. We've been rolling way back. We're watching Justified uh, from a show from, I don't know, 2011, 2012. What's so, Justified? I've never heard of this. Down into the hills of Kentucky. It's about a U.S. Marshal. It's a crime. You know, so. Wow. What is so this I, on? I, yeah. uh, oh, gosh. I don't know. All right, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to search for this. It's an oldie, Kevin. You gotta dig in the archives. I'm an old soul, Josh. You know, I'm an optimist, (laughs) but I'm an old soul. So I'm gonna Google that. Josh Wingrove, everybody, get back to work, buddy. Thanks for making time for me. I appreciate it. He's our Bloomberg White House reporter. Coming up, you can listen to President Trump's daily coronavirus task force briefing. I'm Kevin Cerilli. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.